Gates left with Benjamin. Allen and Williams right. Shotgun snap. Looking left. Going up top. Has Benjamin. Beats his man. Touchdown Chargers. Knock on wood. That was the voice of the Chargers, Matt Money Smith, on the Chargers Broadcast Network. Hey everybody, Chris Harry with you on Chargers Weekly. We have a jam-packed show for you today. Armando Salguero from the Miami Herald joins me to give this week's opposing view. We'll also have keys to victory with Chargers.com managing editor Ricky Henney and week two fantasy advice from NFL.com's Matt Harmon. But first, one of broadcasting's finest, Greg Gumbel. My first guest will be calling Sunday's game on CBS alongside Trent Green. It's a real treat for me to welcome Greg Gumbel to Chargers Weekly. Greg, welcome to Los Angeles. I'm glad to be here. It's been a while. Um, I, where I live, I don't get much traffic, so it's nice to be here and enjoy some. <laughs> How long did it take to get to your hotel from LAX? <laughs> Ooh, let's see. Well, well you know, first you have to factor in how long it took me to get my luggage, but you know, probably about an hour 15 hour 20 and there are probably people out there going that's not bad you i know, know no i'm just not used to it exactly no say with me greg we, we were talking about it all fair what was the last time you called just a game in general in los angeles probably in the mid 90s i'm sure i did a laker game out here uh for uh, nbc in fact in fact there was one evening where um it was I, I was you know that that broadcast table is right at center court, yes, at ground level, and Jack Nicholson sits directly opposite on the other side. So at halftime, my sideline reporter comes over and he says, "What are you doing after the game?" And I said, "I'm going to the airport and I'm flying to the four o'clock flight back to New York. Why?" And he said, uh, "Why don't you stay over tonight?" and play golf tomorrow with me and Gary Shandling and Jack Nicholson. And I said, I don't play golf. And he said, so you don't want to? I said, Jim, I don't play golf. He goes, all right. So he leaves. End of the third quarter, Jack gets up from his seat right across the way, and he walks down the far side of the court underneath the basket and comes up the near. I went, oh, God, he's coming over here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he walks up, and I take my headset off, and he leans over, and he goes, I hear you don't want to play golf with me. <laughs> and I said, I don't play golf. He goes, all right. And he walked all the way back to his seat. And it was it was the most amazing thing. But that's that's probably, that was probably 95, 96, something like that. Um, and I was at NBC doing basketball until 98 so it was somewhere in that area probably the last time i called any game here wow that's that was a forum that was the heydays in the forum yeah oh sure everybody was was going crazy because of uh because of who the lakers were at the time and how they just dominated you know i i worked for lakers for nine years and it was it was incredible just to see that 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 star power on the court you know you talk about the jacks of of the world and gary shandling back in the 80s you know it's pretty incredible i actually that's the first time i met uh, denzel washington i was sitting there and he came over and and we shook hands and uh and i introduced myself and he said i know who you are and i said oh what can i do for you and he said nothing i just came over to say hello and i went well this is pretty cool it's pretty cool to get back here again sometime it's funny how this works in los angeles and now greg there's two teams in the NFL here. We had the Rams here last year. The Chargers are here now. What do you make of football in L.A. now? You know, I wonder how fans are going to react because when there were no teams here, 
you guys got a lot of games on TV. But right. now, when there is a home team playing here, you can't see other stuff. And I wonder how that's going to affect the average fan out here. I, I, I think it's nice that you're going to have a team to, to be able to latch on to. But it's going to affect the television viewing habits, whereas you used to get everything before. Um, fans may not get nearly as much as they're used to. It was an interesting week one, and I know you were in Cleveland for, for Pittsburgh, Cleveland. A lot of offenses kind of struggled this week, this past weekend. And then also you saw some performances from some rookies, Leonard Fournette, Kareem Hunt. What were some of the takeaways for you from week one? Well, gosh, I got to watch um, T.J. Watt. Um, yes, you uh, did. The Steelers. How about them? Uh, who registered a couple of interceptions and, and, and a sack and, uh, you know, did his part in, in destroying the Cleveland Browns. Whose brother plays for the Chargers. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and, right. And, and I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing that, too. But it's funny. I was talking to uh, Mike Tomlin. And I said, what do you think of the rookie? He says, he's one of those guys that you get him into camp, and the only thing that you do as a coach, if you have any sense, is put him on the field. Put him on the field, let him play, and you're set. And he says, he slaps his thigh and he says, every coach should have a Watt. Because apparently they're really very good at what they do. It's unbelievable. You get yeah. three of them, they're all in the AFC. After week one, I heard Kevin Harlan, actually, your CBS colleague, a couple of weeks ago, talk about how you don't know if a team's for real until about week five because teams aren't hitting as much in the offseason with the, with the CBA and, and training camp. You're just kind of getting into the mix in the first couple of weeks, maybe a little bit rusty. What do you think about football today, especially recent history? Because it's a little bit different from when we were talking about the 80s and 90s earlier. Well, I've, I've, I've often said the same thing that Kevin says, that you know these guys who are making these predictions before the season begins, who's going to the sort, they don't know what they're talking about. No. No one does because I don't think that you can get a read on a team until week five, week six. When a team begins a season, you never know how free agents are gonna, will affect the team, how the loss of free agents will affect the team, how draft picks are going to affect the team, will they play as expected or will they be a bust, how trades, you know, injuries always are a factor. I've always thought that it's not, it's not always the best team that wins at the end of the season. It's the healthiest team that wins. Absolutely. Because there are some teams that could go a lot further had they not lost a couple of key players. You know, New England is a very, very, very good team. But have they had their share of crippling injuries? Probably not as many as, as a lot of others. And I think that the loss of Edelman is going to be a real challenge for them. Um, and, and, you know, you, you never know, but I just, I just get such a charge out of hearing these people just say, well, this is what's going to happen. And these guys are going to be super. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. No, no. And, and the chargers were a great example of that snake bitten by injuries last year. You know, I did a bunch of their, in fact, I did the game out here when I think Miami beat them out here oh, in San Diego. Yes. Miami beat them in San Diego. And, um, I, th I just think Philip Rivers is a warrior. I think he's an absolute warrior. He plays hurt as much as anybody in the league, maybe he and Ben Roethlisberger. And, and they were just so hard hit by injuries to some key people. You kind of wonder how they tended to feel the team. There are, time, there are a lot of times that a team has a tough time practicing because they don't have enough healthy players to practice. But, um, but, but I've, always, I've always liked a Phillip Rivers-led team, and uh, um, they always put up a fight. For instance, week one, Keenan Allen goes out in the first half. 
Danny Woodhead, who's now sure. on the Ravens, he goes out week two. And Phillip Rivers tried to keep it together. Right now, everybody's healthy. What do you make of this AFC West, Greg? You know, you have the Chiefs, the Raiders. They looked impressive. The Broncos and Chargers essentially paid to a draw on Monday night. You know, it's a shame. You know, I'm sure the Chargers sit there thinking, boy, if we could just be in some of these other divisions, we'd have ourselves a whale of a season. Exactly. But you look at the Denver Broncos, and, and I thought, boy, in the, their opener Monday night, I thought the Chargers played them really tough. Um, and you, know, you say, well, they couldn't control Von Miller. Well, who can? You know, Not many people can. can. But so, so Denver's a really good team. Uh, Kansas City, I think their performance really speaks for itself against New England on the on the opener Thursday night, and uh, the Oakland Raiders are probably the um, the pretty boys, the favorites, you know, to pick mm-hmm. to go to the Super Bowl. And I think it would have happened last year uh, had their quarterback not gotten hurt. Um, but 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 I do think that they're talented. I think Jack Del Rio has always been a really good coach. Reads his team very well. And they've built that team to a point now where they can play with anybody. So Chargers have their work cut out for them in that division. And when you get a steady diet of those teams, it's going to wear you down. Um, but there's, there's no question that, that, that the other three teams in the league, you have to consider them to be elite in the AFC right now. They are, and and if the Chargers want to get their first win of the year, they're going to have to beat the Dolphins. And there's there's a lot of storylines in this in this game, Greg. You talk about the Dolphins; they essentially had a bye in Week One. Well, they did have a bye in Week One. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been in LA all week. When you look at this game, it's it's the first game as the Los Angeles Chargers since 1960. Uh, what storylines are most intriguing to you? Certainly, Jay Cutler. Um, you know, here's a guy who's supposed to be in the broadcast booth. He was. Um, I don't know how serious he was about it. Look, if you're, if you're a quarterback and you can't decide if you want to retire or not, you might as well stick around because quarterbacks get hurt. And, and, and look, Jay has always – he's had his problems here and there, but he's known for having one of the strongest arms in the National Football League over the years. And he can, he can, throw, he can throw it through a brick wall. So – there are some that'll say sometimes he may not hit the brick wall, but um, yeah. but but he's he's a talented quarterback who can throw, and he's got a coach with whom he gets along really well in Adam Gase because he had experience with him in Denver. So um, so 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 that's one thing. The other thing is that the Dolphins are another team that 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 get hurt far too often. They've got a terrific receiving core, you know. Kenny Stills and and Devontae Parker and and Landry, those guys, those guys can catch the football. They've got a guy, Jay Ajayi, who what did he rush for more than two hundred yards three different games last season? He did. Um, he's they've, they've got a guy named Cameron Wake who was undrafted and he's a sack machine. So so I think that and and I and I happen to think that Adams a pretty good coach too. Um, you know, you can you can point to a bunch of teams that have talent. And they aren't going anywhere because the coach doesn't know what to do with it. And there are coaches who will tell you it's hard to coach talent. Sometimes you have to give them their head and just give them the ball and go go play, you know, rather than dictate to them. The best coaches are those coaches who will adjust to the talent that they have. There are some who will just say, no, this is my way. And if you don't do it my way, well, you know, guess what? Maybe you don't have a 3-4 team. You know, on defense, maybe you've got a four-three team. No, it's going to be it's going to be three-four because that's how I grew up. And you go, well, okay, then you're going to lose. You yeah. know, and that happens. Um, but but I think that I think that look at the Dolphins last year. 
I mean, the, the Dolphins went to the playoffs last yeah, 10 year and, six. and surprised the heck out of a lot of people. Uh, so, so I think that they'll put up a battle. Um, I think the Dolphins are, are easily the second-best team in their division this year, and, um, and, and I think they're going to pick up where they left off last year. Now, with, with the Dolphins and not having game tape, the Chargers don't have any game tape for the 2017 season. What kind of disadvantage or advantage does that give the Dolphins? I don't think that it is um, because there are, there are probably three factors at work here. One, of course, is game tape, which doesn't exist from week one because they didn't play. But there is game tape from the preseason. And the third and most important is there are a lot of coaches that really won't rely on the game tape as much as they will, will look at tendencies. Uh, for instance, a bunch of the guys told us, you know, Greg Williams, the new defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns, um, they didn't really want to watch the Browns on defense so much. They went back and they watched Greg Williams' tendencies his days in New Orleans and, and, and wherever he has coached defense, they watch and see what he likes to do. And that's what they kind of keep an eye on rather than, than, than something specific and what they saw in a football game. Because it's kind of like Belichick. You can't trust Belichick to run the same things during the season that he ran in practice because you know, he may change it just because he knows you're watching it. Yeah. Um, so, so, there are, so, the, so the tendency factor is at work as well. Um, I don't think it's as important as it used to be. And if you are basing – look, there are people – I go back to Belichick again. Guys have told us in production meetings, you can't watch Belichick's defense from the week before because it's all different the following week. Everything that he did the week before, none of that matters. It's no. wiped off, and he starts it all over again. And you're all of a sudden you're prepared for something that you never see during the game. You know what? You bring up this point, and it's actually it, it brings me to to Philip Rivers after the game on Monday because he said the Broncos because we saw a lot of Miami because of Vance Joseph, the defensive when he was defensive coordinator in Miami. And I, I'm just thinking aloud here. It, it's almost like they promoted their linebackers coach to be the defensive coordinator. They may see some of the same tendencies that, that they saw in Denver on Monday night. Yeah. By the way, do I remember this correctly? I think it was, I think it was Pittsburgh that beat the chargers a couple of years ago at the end of the game. Tomlin went for two points instead of, a game tying extra point, which would like have a sent week it seventeen to overtime, game? maybe. Yeah. But no, no, it wasn't week seventeen because I talked to him. I talked to him the week or two after that, and I asked him why, because most coaches, which drives me nuts, by the way, most coaches will just kick the extra point and go to overtime. And I've always thought, if you have any faith at all in your guys, why not go for the win right there and avoid overtime? Yeah. Well, Tomlin did. And they got, they got the two-point conversion, and they won. And I asked him, I said, why did you do that? He says, because as the game wore on, I thought Phillip Rivers was beginning to figure us out. And I didn't want to risk going into overtime because I thought that he would beat us in overtime. And I thought that was really interesting. That is really and interesting. I, and that's – I mean, I, I think the world of Tomlin as a coach. I think he's good. Yeah, he's a heck of a coach. Speaking of coaches, Anthony Lynn, his first year as a head coach. And, Greg, I've – had an opportunity to watch them during training camp and through the preseason. And he's 
I think he's changing the culture. I think he's building a mentally tough team, a physically tough team. What are your impressions of Anthony Lynn, knowing that he he worked for the Bills and the Jets under Rex Ryan and had a heck of a running game? He's got a great resume. Uh, I've never met him. I'm looking forward to meeting him this weekend. Um, but 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 you're right. He's he's done wonders with the running game everywhere he's been, and of course he two-time Super Bowl winner and and a running back himself. Um, but but I think that that changing a losing culture to a winning culture is the toughest thing that any coach in any sport does be and sometimes they come to the agreement what they probably won't admit it publicly but sometimes you have to get rid of some guys who exude that losing culture too much Mm -hmm. you have to find guys who hugh jackson is facing the same thing in cleveland that's exactly what it his, he's got the youngest roster in the National Football League because he had to get rid of a bunch of guys who were just too used to losing and accepting that, and he had to start all over again. Um, and, and, and I think that that's the toughest thing for a coach to do is to establish that winning culture because everybody can say, yeah, we want to win. The question is you're going to go out there and do what's necessary to do it. And, and I think, too, last year they couldn't get the running game going the way that they, it needs to get going. And – Phillip Rivers, they were snake-bitten by injuries. I think he had to press a little bit more in the fourth quarter. I think what you saw week one, at least, they're trying to have some sort of balance with the running game. And even though it didn't really get going, I think Melvin Gordon ended up with 3.2 yards of carry. They at least tried to get it going and keep that balance that Phillip Rivers is going to need this year. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's an old saying that you run to set up the passing game, and I think that's way, 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 way out of fashion. I think what you do now is you pass to set up the running game um, because there are so many strong-armed quarterbacks, so many guys who are faster. You know, th- there, are some, there are some wide receivers that the quarterback's got to get the ball out early or else the guy's going to outrun the ball. It's that yeah. simple. Um, so, so there are the, – the running game is important because you just can't throw it every down. But, but there's, there's no question that it's not nearly as important as it used to be. Now, what would Dallas be without Ezekiel Elliott running the football? You know, A lot different. Yes, not nearly the same. Um, Tom Brady can throw the heck out of the ball, but you better believe he wants somebody back there who can run the ball whenever he hands it off. So, so I'm not discounting it completely. Um, but if you can go into a game and, um, and, and have them – be on their guard for both aspects of the offense, then then you've done something. I was talking to um, I was talking to the Browns, and I said, "What are you going to do against Ben Roethlisberger? Um, do, you, do you do you plan on stopping Le'Veon Bell and make him throw, or do you stop Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown and make them run?" They said, "No, you always want to stop the run first and make them throw." So what happens? Antonio Brown goes for a hundred. I mean, <laughs> yeah. He just, yeah, he just he, they threw to him eleven times. He caught eleven passes, and you know sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But then you know you run into raw talent, and and there's no beating pure raw talent. Greg, I want to get you out of here on this. What's the most unique place you've called a game? Because StubHub Center is unique to the NFL. Twenty-seven thousand seats. There's an ambiance to it, and I, I saw what it could be during preseason. Everybody's so close to the field. I think it has the potential to get really loud and have a really really cool home field advantage for the Chargers. Uh, I'm just curious as to the, the most unique place you've called a game. I've never seen StubHub, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, the 
stadiums around the NFL are pretty unique. Tampa had an old stadium where the broadcast booth was at the very top. And you would look down, and it looked like an ant farm. That's all. You go, oh, my God, I can't even see. I can't even see the difference in colors of the, of the uniforms, let alone names and numbers on the back. And that was one of those games where you were tied to the TV monitor yeah. because they had a much better picture. Um, that's probably the only unique one as far as ever. Gosh, ask any guy who's ever done play-by-play in a college basketball game at Duke. Because the, the camera, camera crazy. Oh, because because you're way up in the rafters, and it's small. It is small. And one of the weirdest things ever. We once assigned Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to do a game there, and to, and and I guess a couple of guys on the crew told me to see him trying to climb into and out of that place was ridiculous. Um, but it's it's what it is, and it's kind of a fun place to do a basketball game. But it's just not the most comfortable. Yeah, especially for Kareem. Now they changed things. They changed things in Buffalo um, last year because the broadcast booth in Buffalo was down at the thirty-yard line at one end of the of the field, and they they finally fixed that last year. But there were times there were times that something would be happening at the other end and go uh, touchdown by. Who was that, Trent? <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I sure as hell you can't see it. it. No, um, fortunately, I think they've they've you know in Denver they built they built this beautiful stadium, and the broadcast booth was big, and then they put a big old pole right in the middle of it, like a like a like a concrete pole that goes all the way through the Why stadium, you and you've got I don't know I don't know, and you've got to walk around it back and forth all the time, but. Um, most of them, most of them are very nice. Pittsburgh's is outstanding. Dallas is outstanding. Chicago's is outstanding. Uh, so, like anything else, there's good and there's not as good. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you on Sunday, Greg. I can't thank you enough for your time. He's gonna be calling the game alongside Trent Green on CBS. Greg Gumball, thank you so much. My pleasure. If you're a fan of the Chargers, shop our huge selection of Los Angeles Chargers gear and merchandise at the official pro shop of the Los Angeles Chargers. Buy officially licensed Chargers apparel to cheer on the team, including Chargers jerseys, t-shirts, tailgating gear, salute to service gear, and much more. Browse our collection of the most popular items and school accessories such as backpacks, fidget spinners, and Chargers back-to-school supplies. Find any kind of Los Angeles Chargers gear or clothing you may ever need today at shop.chargers.com. My next guest, one of the best sports writers in the country. He's covered the NFL and the Dolphins for 27 years. Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald joins me on Chargers Weekly. You can follow him on Twitter, at Armando Salguero. Armando, how are you, my man? Well, I was fine until you started calling me one of the best sports writers in the country, Chris. Now I feel like a piece of toast. You've buttered me up. <laughs> it's not true. It is true. No one knows the Dolphins <laughs> like you, Armando. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, no. Well, hey, I, I was really excited to have you on to get the opposing view for Sunday's game. But I want to start with Hurricane Irma and the recovery efforts down there in South Florida. Our thoughts are obviously with everybody in Miami and the state of Florida. How are those recovery efforts going, Armando? Well, uh, I would say that they are moving along. I would say that there's going to be a lot of work to do that will, you know, go into months, if not years. And uh, there's a lot of people in a lot of pain right now. Uh, they don't have a house. There are empty spaces where houses used to be. Um, it, it's uh, interesting. Uh, part of the coverage the other day is 
the uh, stations down here are getting in their helicopters and flying over the devastated areas. And this one house that they were flying over, you could see the gentleman who lives in the house in the devastated area, opens the door, the front door, walks out, opens the front door, walks back in the house, but the copter is focusing in on the house because there's no roof. And so the man is walking in and out of his front door, and meanwhile we're, we're peering into his house from above because there is nothing over his head. And that's the kind of situation a lot of people have right now in Florida. It's heartbreaking. And, and like I said, our thoughts are, are with everybody down there. And I know it's been a, a while, a couple of weeks, and the players actually left for Los Angeles last Friday before the storm hit. And I know you spoke with head coach Adam Gase on Monday, I believe. I saw your, your, uh, your piece in the Miami Herald. Have you heard from any other coaches and players about how this week has impacted them personally? Well, a lot of them actually were spread out throughout the country because the NFL changed the Dolphins' schedule around and made the first week the bye week. And so that's what, uh, what happened with, with their schedule. That means the Dolphins' coaches told the players, you're on your bye, uh, you can go home if you want, you probably shouldn't stay here, um, so go right ahead. And the players spread out all over the country. They went home to their different states. Uh, the Dolphins, you know, per se, went to Los Angeles, but 47 players were not with that traveling party. They regathered on Monday. They had their first team meeting on Tuesday at 10 a.m. And on Wednesday, obviously, will be their first practice in Oxnard. Yeah, like so, so they're going to be in Oxnard where the Dallas Cowboys have training camp um, in August. And as far as airport and travel, you're you're traveling out to the game tomorrow, so the airports are good to go and no no problems from a travel perspective for you. I hope. <laughs> I mean, let's uh, you know, th- look, a, a hurricane does a lot of weird things. It does a lot of weird things to equipment. Uh, all three major airports in South Florida, in Palm Beach, Fort Lauderdale, and Miami, are open now. And, you know, there are flights, but there are still a lot of flights that are canceled. And so, um, you know, there's a scheduled flight on which I'm supposed to be on. Let's put it that way. We'll see if I make it. Well, my man, I hope to see you here very soon. I, I'm, I'm sure everything's going to work out just fine. But, Armando, let's get into the game because. As you mentioned, this storm has affected the, the beginning of the season for the Dolphins. They were supposed to open up with the Bucks. That gets postponed. And Armada, you know as well as anybody how much advanced game planning goes into that season opener in August. So there's a potential disadvantage there. But at the same time, this team's fresh. There's no 2017 game tape on them yet for the Chargers to look at. And they left for L.A. last week. So they're in somewhat of a routine, I would imagine, at this point. How do you think the players and coaching staff have handled this change in the schedule? Well, that's to be determined, and it'll be determined at around, uh, I guess, 4 o'clock Pacific on Sunday, because if they win, everybody's going to say, gee, you guys really recovered well, and you you faced adversity of, uh, you know, a natural disaster, and, and you plowed through it, and, and you won. If they lose... You know, I'm sure that they're not going to be looking for excuses or mentioning it 
as an excuse, but let's face it. Uh, they haven't really played the, – the veterans on this team haven't really played in three weeks because they played the third preseason game, and then they didn't play the fourth, and then they didn't play in an opener, and now on Sunday is when they're going to play. Um, so there's going to be things that will be brought up. You know, they don't have a game under their belt. The Chargers do. Uh, on the other hand, the Chargers have no tape of the 2017 Miami Dolphins, whereas the Dolphins do have tape of the 2017 Chargers. And you mentioned the Dolphins haven't played in three weeks. They also have a quarterback that just came directly out of the booth, actually didn't even start in the booth. He's now your starting quarterback, Jay Cutler. And Armando, he had his best year under Adam Gaze in Chicago. What are you expecting from Cutler in 2017 based on what you've seen in the short time that he's been there? I would say that what we're going to see from Jay Cutler is what we've seen from Jay Cutler for, you know, 12 seasons that he's been in the NFL. Uh, He is not, this is not a new thing. Jay Cutler has been in this offense before uh, with Adam Gase, and he had a good, not great season. Uh, He threw 23 touchdown passes and 11 interceptions. And so, you know, that's, that's good. That's not great. Uh, that's not Tom Brady-esque. That's not Phil Rivers at his height. That's, that's okay. So uh, there's a reason why Jay Cutler, it was late August, and no team in the NFL had decided to sign him as a free agent, which he was. There's a reason why he was available to the Miami Dolphins as a, I, I don't want to say savior because he's not, but as an option, uh, whereas other NFL teams that clearly there's plenty of them that need quarterback help, they decided that Jay Cutler wasn't the quarterback to help them. So there's a reason for that. Uh, obviously, good for the Dolphins, but not. we'll see if it's great for the Dolphins. You know, one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting this preseason, and you know, you, you take it for what it is because it's preseason, but... You see a, a rapport with Cutler and Parker, and, and I'm wondering if there's going to be a kind of a shift in target distribution. You know, I think Tannehill really leaned on Jarvis Landry. You have Devontae Parker there, Kenny Stills. Um, what are you expecting from this receiving core, and, and have you noticed that? Is Jay kind of leaning a little bit towards Devontae Parker, a la, you know, him and Alshon Jeffrey in Chicago? That happened about three minutes after Jay Cutler first stepped on the field (laughs) with the Miami Dolphins in practice. He saw that Devontae Parker, uh, a third-year guy who really hasn't burst on the scene by any means, is six foot three and two hundred and fifteen pounds, and you know runs like a deer, and you know jumps like an Olympic high jumper and has the catch radius of a B-52 bomber. And so he saw that and decided, I'm going to throw to that guy. (laughs) And he's obviously developed some chemistry with Devante in these practices. Um, It's going to be interesting, the dynamic, because for the last few years, Jarvis Landry has been the number one receiver in Miami. And I'm not feeling the... Jay Cutler, Jarvis Landry dynamic as much as the Jay Cutler, Devontae Parker dynamic. So that'll be interesting to watch. And another guy who really had some unbelievable games last year, Jay Ajayi, he had three 200-yard rushing games in 2016, Armando. But 
in 11 games last year, he was held to under 80 rushing yards. So he undoubtedly needs to be accounted for. But what do you make of these monster performances mixed in with these games where he just couldn't get going? Well, uh, what I make of it is the fact that, obviously, once you have a 200-yard game, uh, which he did against the Buffalo Bills in October, teams start to pay attention. And then he had another 200-yard game, which he did against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And now teams are not just paying attention. They're focusing in on you and saying, no, 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 no. We're not going to be the next victim of a 200-yard rushing game. And so that's what happened. He was still one of the league leaders in broken tackles. He was still one of the league leaders in yards after contact. Um, And he was the number four rusher in the NFL last year, which is pretty good considering that before the year started, nobody really had heard of JHI. So, uh, yeah, he had some bad games where teams decided you're not beating us. Uh, What the Dolphins hope to do is when teams make that decision – when they put eight guys in the tackle box that they can throw the ball and that Jay Cutler is able to throw to a Kenny Stills, a Jarvis Landry, a Julius Thomas, a Devontae Parker. And this Dolphins defense, Armando, Vance Joseph, we saw him on Monday night. He moves on to Denver. And the the Dolphins promote Matt Burke, who was the linebackers coach last year. And we know about the guys like Sue and Cameron Wake and Jones in the back end. What are your expectations of this Dolphins D, and who should Chargers fans have eyes on Sunday? Well, uh, I would say that Chargers fans should have eyes on the quarter, uh, the cornerback not named Xavier Howard, because if the Chargers are going to pick on somebody, it's going to be that guy, be it Vernon Maxwell or, or Alteron Werner, who, you know, as we sit here talking, the Dolphins still have not decided which one of those two is going to start. And the reason is Maxwell started training camp as the presumed starter and then basically had a terrible end of the training camp and preseason. He was just toasted, uh, especially in Philadelphia uh, in the third preseason game. So it was, uh, it, it's going to be an interesting thing to see. You know, the Dolphins play in the AFC East where the New England Patriots, they see a weak link a weak chink in the armor and they pick at it like a scab and it's amazing to me that not every nfl team does that the dolphins obviously have a scab at that at that position that should be picked on uh i guess it's up to philip rivers and you know the coaching staff to recognize that based off of by the way preseason tape because there is no regular season tape of the Dolphins and decide well we're going to do that and see if that does something for us or you know we're just going to do what we do which is one of the craziest terms that I've ever heard in (laughs) in NFL coaching or any coaching we're going to do what we do and not worry about our opponent. Yeah, okay, well, Bill Belichick doesn't always do what he does. He picks on your weakness, and it's worked out pretty good for him. Needless to say, Bill Belichick has done pretty good for himself. This Chargers offense, you, look, you talk about these weapons on the outside with Keenan Allen back and Tyrell Williams, who led the team in receiving yards last year, 
and Travis Benjamin, who's now healthy, who had a 38-yard touchdown against the Broncos. So it, it seems like this is where the Dolphins probably should be the most concerned. And I didn't, I didn't even mention Antonio Gates and Hunter Henry, and Hunter Henry was shut out on Monday against the Broncos. Yeah, and by the way, Travis, Travis Benjamin from um, yeah, the University of Miami. Yep, something like um, that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's never been a question whether Philip Rivers has, you know, weapons around him. Uh, I think that he does. The, the question has always been, one, can that team stay healthy? Two, uh, can the offensive line protect him? I didn't see a whole lot of great protection, uh, you know, of Philip Rivers the other night until really the end of the game where the the Broncos were playing prevent and not, you know, not always blitzing or not always uh, uh, going after him. And obviously it's too early in the season to where the – you know, the dreaded Chargers injury plague has become a factor yet. So that's not in play anymore. Yeah, you know, Endeavor, gosh, it was so loud on Monday night. And it's it's a tough place to play. And these guys clawed their way back in it. Um, but we'll, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens on Sunday. I want to get you out of here on this, Armando. You saw this Chargers team against the Broncos. What matchups do you think could, could potentially decide Sunday's game? Well, you mentioned one earlier. Can the Chargers defense, which um, up front is not exactly it, – it's, it's not exactly a big line. It's not a big front seven. I mean, they're not small, but they're not necessarily big. Can they bottle up Jay Ajayi, who has made, you know, made his, his money last year, not just doing good work against uh, – extra defenders, but even when defenders hit him, he was still able to gain three, four, five yards after the initial contact. Uh, you got to be able to tackle well. That's something if the Chargers do, that will hurt, you know, the Dolphins run game. And we'll see what, which Jay Cutler shows up because good Jay Cutler is borderline elite. Bad Jay Cutler uh, is the guy that nobody wanted uh, this offseason until the Dolphins had an exigent need because they'd lost Ryan Tannehill as their starting quarterback. Armando, it's going to be a lot of fun. An old-school kind of AFC West duel with, with uh, Rivers and Cutler. It's, it, it's, it's only appropriate that the Chargers open up, and it's Rivers versus Cutler in their first game in Los Angeles. He's Armando Salguero. You can follow him on Twitter, at Armando Salguero. Safe travels to L.A., my man, and I will see you Sunday. Look forward to seeing you in person. Looking forward to it, Chris. Great talking to you. Hey, football fans, Matt Money Smith here. Your Los Angeles Chargers historic home opener at StubHub Center is only days away. And because the Chargers have just released a limited number of single-game tickets, you too can experience the most intimate and family-friendly stadium in the NFL starting this Sunday, September 17th, when the Bolts take on the Miami Dolphins. Every seat is so close to the action, you'll feel like you're part of every play. Don't miss out on one of the best sports experiences in Los Angeles. Go to chargers.com backslash tickets to secure your seats today and join the fight for L.A. All right, if you listen to this podcast, chances are you're going to need some help with your fantasy squad too. And my next guest is here to help. NFL.com's Matt Harmon joins me on Chargers Weekly. Matt, what is up, buddy? Chris, 
Ah, it's good to talk to you uh, on like not on the other side of a, a glass pane for once. So this is great. Uh, and I'm really excited to talk about the Chargers. It's right here in the middle of the Thursday night football game where there's not a lot of points being scored. So uh, hopefully we can uh, we can put some juice into it by talking about a good offensive team in, in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think. Hey, listen, the Chargers, it was a tough game Monday. They still scored some points. Week two against the Miami Dolphins, a team that hasn't played yet, Matt. Uh, what are you expecting from this Chargers offense when you look at this matchup between the Dolphins? Yeah, so uh, I think things didn't go so well for Melvin Gordon from like a statistical standpoint and as far as his rushing yardage and yards per carry went. But I think I was not surprised to see that they really came out and were committed to running the ball. I mean, Anthony Lynn operated the most run-heavy offense last year in Buffalo. I mean, he is a Rex Ryan coaching disciple, a former running back himself. So it was no surprise to see them really come out with a commitment to pounding the rock. And I think that will be their foundation going forward is a really run-heavy approach. So I expect that to work really well against the Dolphins, who have some good pass rushers up front, but aren't necessarily like a great run defense. And it's also important to note that when the Dolphins and Chargers played last year, uh, Melvin Gordon really ripped them off there. So I think he, he's in line for another big game. And, and like I said, really the centerpiece of their um, offense. The, the questions lie more with the passing game, which, you know, to its own right, has a litany of talented options. Um, and I think that was the biggest question coming into fantasy drafts this year is like, how is the distribution going to shake up? Uh, we saw Keenan Allen get loose in the end zone and grab a touchdown last week. And I mean, I think we'll, we'll see that plenty this year, as long as he's healthy. He's one of the best receivers in the league uh, in terms of a separation standpoint and also at the contested catch point. So I really like Keenan Allen as the centerpiece of the passing game. And it's these ancillary players who I think come into focus this week, guys like Tyrell Williams. Plenty of people have questions about Hunter Henry. Uh, but I, I, like the, I like the way that they match up against the Dolphins' defense this week. How do you approach these pass catchers on the Chargers? Because to your point, they're so talented. Tyrell Williams led the, the team in receiving yards last year because Keenan Allen was out. Hunter Henry had eight touchdowns and 53 targets. Uh, Travis Benjamin, I, listen, he doesn't have fantasy relevance right now per se, but from what I saw in training camp and what I saw in the preseason, then obviously Rivers hooked up with him in week one, what do you make of these pass catchers on a weekly basis? Obviously, Melvin Gordon, he's in your lineup. Keenan Allen, he's in your lineup. And then what do you just play the matchups, do you think, of week to week? Yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned uh, Travis Benjamin because I don't think he gets enough credit for what a good player he is. And, and, and uh, back when they were the San Diego Chargers, the Chargers agreed with that, too. I mean, they went out and paid him pretty decent money. And, and that was looking like a really good move after Keenan Allen went down. I mean, even before... Uh, Tyrell Williams took over as the leading receiver. Travis Benjamin was kind of cooking last year. He had 115 yards, 82 yards, 48 yards, uh, and 117 yards in four straight games after that week one contest and scored two touchdowns against the Jaguars in one of those games. So he's a legitimately good player. And we saw again that he can definitely take the lid off the defense. I mean, he got loosened against that Denver secondary. He's going to be an important player for this team because he can stretch the field and he's going to have some big weeks. I mean, they're going to be tough to predict from a fantasy standpoint, but I think he's worth having on the end of your roster because a lot of times in fantasy, it's really just who are the good offenses and let me associate my investments with them. And I think Los Angeles has a chance to be a pretty good offense. So I like the idea of keeping Travis Benjamin around. And if there are injuries, he's going to be in a really good position. Uh, and, and when it comes to the, the rest of your guys, you're, you're probably trying to play matchups. I mean, right now, after what happened with uh, Hunter Henry, not getting a target, playing far less snaps than Antonio Gates in week one, 
I don't really think you can use Hunter Henry right now. Um, and I, I wouldn't be a completely opposed to dropping him, but I'd probably try to avoid it. I, I didn't really draft Henry anywhere because I thought he was going a little too high considering Gates was still in the picture. But I, I'd try to probably hold him right now, and eventually maybe he gets rolling as the clear lead guy. Uh, but he's probably in that range with guys like Martellus Bennett, uh, the Jack Doyles of the world, where you like them from some weeks, but also you're really not rolling them out there like a Travis Kelsey or a Zach Ertz, guys that are, are every week starters outside the Gronk tier. Uh, and I think for this week, though, the, uh, the, the Dolphins secondary is still ca- kind of a work in progress. So I think guys like Tyrell Williams, Travis Benjamin, even if, if you're in a deeper start multiple receiver leagues, I think you want to side on getting these wide receivers in, in your lineup this week. Matt, let's go around the league, and it's typical overreaction after week one. You had some some big guys who came up a little small this week, and then you had some surprise performances. What stuck out to you in week one, some of the most intriguing storylines in your eyes? Yeah, so I think one of them is kind of what we're watching right now with the Texans and Deshaun Watson and generally rookie quarterbacks all, all around. Uh, you know, we have Deshaun Kaiser starting, too, in, in Cleveland. That's an offense that I'm, I'm monitoring because after they play the Ravens this week uh, in Baltimore, which I think is going to be a tough slog of a game for a rookie quarterback in Deshaun Kaiser, um, the Browns get a pretty good schedule. They get the Colts, the Bengals, and the Jets in three games after that. And I'm kind of intrigued on this offense as a potential by-low candidate. I've liked what I've seen out of Corey Coleman so far, and so is Deshaun Kaiser. He's had pretty much eyes just for him in the wide receiver room. And uh, then Isaiah Crowell is somebody that got a ton of usage. I mean, the supposed backup quarter, a backup running back in Duke Johnson played all of his snaps as a, as a wide receiver or in the slot. That was crazy. So Isaiah Crowell, yeah, I mean, Isaiah Crowell is really set up well. So I, I, I don't really like the matchup this week. Uh, but going forward, I think the Browns offense is, is something that we're going to have to, we're going to have to watch out for. Feels a little weird. I'm sitting here talking about all all Browns on a fantasy football podcast. Hey Matt, podcast. no, listen, listen. Line- I have I have two. I have Isaiah Crowell and Corey Coleman starting in a league, and I look at it and I'm like, do I really want two Browns on my team? But I kind of do because Corey Coleman's getting all the targets, yeah. and like you said, Isaiah Crowell's getting all the carries. Yeah, and like I said, it's probably not going to start off all that well this week. But going forward, this is an offense that I think we want to be invested in. Because I think Deshaun Kaiser might be legitimately good. I think he might be a starting-level quarterback. Um, Again, it's probably going to be a rough road this week, but if he lifts those tides going forward, this is going to be an offense that we want to be associated with. I think probably one of the biggest storylines, though, um, and this is something I've been paying attention to all offseason, is the Vikings offense. And, I mean, they looked incredible in the Monday night opener uh, this past week. But, of course, everybody's going to say, but the Saints defense, but the Saints defense. But, look, Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, those guys were really good last year. If people weren't paying attention, they were sleeping on them. They might have missed it. But those guys started to break out last year. Sam Bradford was making legitimately awesome throws. I don't care who was covering. Those were just awesome throws. And this offense is set up really well with a feature back in Dalvin Cook, a a great tight end who led the NFL in tight end targets last year in in Kyle Rudolph. This might be like the next great fantasy offense, and you've kind of got to make a stand on it going into week two. Do you believe it, or do you believe that it was just the Saints defense? I tend to side on the fact that I believe in the Vikings, and I, I think you want to make maybe some last 